Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, wherever you are, whenever you happen to be watching this, um, we are just so glad that you are joining us this morning. Um, I want to start by reading um, some scripture and uh, that I'll be referencing today, and then I'll follow that with a quick prayer. The scripture I'm reading from is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Father, thank you so much um, for this church, for those who have joined me this morning, and I pray that wherever they're at this morning, whatever place in life they're hearing this message and these words, um, that you would use them, that you would use these words to bring life. Lord, anything that is not from you this morning, I just ask that it would fall away. And I pray that what is meant to stick and what is meant to take hold would do so this morning. Father, may we have open ears and open hearts, ready to receive and hear from your Spirit. Amen. Well, has anyone else been watching more Netflix than usual lately? So I'm not a big TV watcher at all, but ever since COVID hit, that has totally changed. Um, and one show that popped up recently uh, for us to watch is the new Will Ferrell movie. Um, it's called Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Now, for the record, I am not endorsing the behaviors in this movie. I am not saying that you should necessarily go out and watch it. I mean, it is Will Ferrell, right? So viewer discretion is advised. Um, but we did watch it, um, and it was really funny. It's about uh, two Icelandic people. And what I love about this movie is that there are a lot of sort of um, hilarious inside jokes made about Iceland or sort of Icelandic culture uh, that are really accurate. And they're jokes that you really only get if you've been to Iceland. So Jay and I went to Iceland. We went to Reykjavik a few years ago. And um, one of the things about Iceland is there's actually very little immigration into Iceland. In fact, the tourist guides would say um, that the only living thing immigrating into Iceland are trees. Um, so in a, in a country with about 300,000, um, the gene pool isn't very big. So in this movie, um, Will Ferrell and his partner, um, Rachel McAdams, get asked the question a lot, so are you two brother and sister? And Will Ferrell replies, I'm pretty sure she's not my sister, but no, we're not brother and sister. I'm pretty sure she's not my sister. Um, and you're like, well, that's kind of a funny thing to say. But actually, in Iceland, there's an app that you get, um, and you have it on your phone. And when you find someone that you are interested in dating or getting to know a little bit better, um, you actually put their name into the app, and it tells you how closely related you are to one another. Not whether or not you're related, because everyone is kind of related, um, but how closely related you are. So then you can decide, oh, well, she's only my third cousin, so I guess it's okay if we date or whatever. 
So it's pretty funny. Um, and then the other thing that they um, mention in this video that you see a lot is uh, Rachel McAdams' character sort of prays and interacts a lot with elves. Um, and sort of there's like this like little elf town and stuff like that. And that is total Icelandic culture. Um, in fact, uh, Icelandic Christmas tradition says that there's not really um, such thing as Santa Claus. Instead, there's this giantess named Grilla. And uh, at Chris, on Christmas Eve, if children do not have new clothes by midnight, um, she goes around looking for those kids who don't have new clothes, and then she feeds them to her giant cat, who's named the Yule Cat. I'm not kidding. I, I'm not making this up. This is total uh, Icelandic fol folklore. And then this giantess Grilla has 13 sons, and they're elves, um, and they're called the Yule Lads. Now there's 13 of them and they are pranksters. Um, so each one of them is assigned a different prank to pull. One of them is named Spoon Licker. And his job is to go into your home and lick all of your spoons. And that is disgusting. And then there's another one and his job is to, his name is Door Slammer, and his job is to go into your home at night and slam all the doors while you're sleeping, which is just terrifying. And then there's one more named Sausage Swiper. And his job is to go into your home and swipe your sausages, you know, on the smoker, cooker, whatever. So it's just crazy, uh, just awesome uh, Icelandic folklore. And lucky for you, you're hearing about this in July in Canada in the middle of the day. I first learned about this in Iceland in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, that's when we took this picture, in the middle of an Icelandic ice field right at Christmas time. So it's pretty spooky. And what's the point of all of that? Why am I telling you that? Well, another interesting thing about Iceland is in the middle of Reykjavik, they have this huge Lutheran church. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a landmark. Um, it's on all of their maps. Um, everyone knows exactly where it is because you can see it from all of Reykjavik. Reykjavik is really only the size of about northwest um, Calgary. So it's, it's everywhere, um, everyone knows about it. So Jay and I decided, well, we have to go and see this church. And actually, I took these photos when we were there. Um, so we, we went to go in, and it actually cost us $40 each to get into this church. And it was absolutely beautiful. Um, but sadly, this church is now really only used as a tourist grab. I mean, they have music there occasionally, but it's really only for the tourists. They have a gift shop, um, but it's actually just about as big as the sanctuary itself. And they have a ton of tourists coming in and out, but absolutely no locals. And it's one of only a handful of churches in Iceland. See, sadly, the church, capital C, doesn't really exist in Iceland anymore. I mean, it's there, but it's barely holding on. And what was once this Christian country, this like Lutheran-based country believing deeply in Christ, now has this statistic, sorry, 0% of Icelandic people under the age of 25 believe that God created the earth. 0%. See, somehow, some way over the years, they drifted away. And it's not surprising, right? I mean, considering their folklore around Christmas and the fact that not a single story includes the birth of Christ. And my point is this, this church, which was built with purpose and intention, is no longer being used to fulfill its God-given mission. 
it's no longer living out its original mission statement, its reason for existing. Or at least I have to imagine that this giant church built in the middle of a freezing cold country that's super expensive wasn't built with the sole intention of selling postcards, right? They've drifted away from their original purpose. It's drifted away from its original purpose, from what it was made for. And we see this pattern in a lot of places right now, not just Iceland. I mean, all over Europe, you can find beautiful cathedrals that once existed to worship and praise our God, now offering little more than a photo op. I mean, just last week, I had the chance to visit an Alberta heritage site, which was settled by my own Métis ancestors. And I got to see this church that they built, a church that once served the whole surrounding area. In fact, it was the very first church in all of central Alberta. And what I found was very much the same. Just another tourist spot, just another old church to take photos of. It no longer fulfills the intention or the purpose that my ancestors had in mind for it when they built it. I wanna talk to you about mission statements for a second. Now, a mission statement is a formal summary of the aims and values of a company, organization, or individual. It says what you're about, your intention, and to a degree, it says where you're headed. First, NAS has a mission statement. It's making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. Most churches have their own mission statement. Most organizations of any kind do. And some are more specific than others. In fact, some companies, you can hear their mission statement and you know um, almost immediately exactly which company it's talking about. So I know you're at home this morning, but I wanna play a little game. I'm gonna show you some mission statements on the screen here, and I want you to see if you can guess which large international company um, it's referring to. The first one is this. Our vision is to be Earth's most customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything that they might want to buy online. Did you get it? It's Amazon. Right? And this is an awesome mission statement. It outlines exactly what Amazon is about. And when you hear it, you know what's important to them. Right? You know what their goals are. You know where they're headed. Mission statements exist to steer direction. You know, they outline purpose. They cast vision. They're intentional. And most importantly, they require action in order to be implemented. I have another one for you. Let's see if you can guess this one. Our mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Well, who says that? I'll give you a hint. It is not Tim Hortons. It's Starbucks. And it paints a picture, doesn't it? What Starbucks is all about? Creating a space where I can come and drink coffee and feel inspired and nurtured? Wow, who cares if I have to pay $6 for a cup of coffee if that's what I'm going to get out of it? You know, it sounds amazing. And so they focus on creating spaces that achieve this. And that's what mission statements do. Again, that's what purpose does. They bring intention. But what happens when we lose that clarity of purpose? What happens when we lose that intention? When we start to drift away? Well, I already told you about that church in Iceland. 
Now I want to read to you a mission statement that belonged to a post-secondary school that was founded a long time ago in the early 1600s, um, a very prestigious and well-known school. It still is to this day. And their mission statement said this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. That was the mission statement of Harvard University. And you might find that hard to believe. I found it hard to believe when I first heard it. Harvard, where Christianity makes up like less than 15% of the religious affiliations of students, and where more than 40% of students um, identify as atheist or agnostic? No way was that their mission statement. I have one more to read out to you. Um, it won't be too hard to figure this one out, I don't think. The Young Men's Christian Association seeks to unite those young men who, regarding J Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, according to the Holy Scriptures, desire to be his disciples in their faith and in their life, and to associate their efforts for the extension of his kingdom against, amongst young men. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the acronym YMCA, that is not what I think about. And that's not what anyone, at least in my generation, would associate with the YMCA, right? We think about swimming lessons and exercise. Nothing even close to this. See, both of these organizations drifted so far from their original intention, uh, from their original purpose, that we wouldn't even recognize it for what it is nowadays. And just like Harvard um, and the YMCA, and just like that old Lutheran church in Reykjavik, over time, we too drift away. We drift, and let's face it, there are no organizations accidentally drifting into Christianity. I mean, that's not really a thing. We don't drift towards God. We just don't, but we certainly drift away from him. If we are not moving forward with intention and purpose, with a clear picture of where we're headed, we will absolutely drift away. I mean, it's not enough to know where you are right now. It's not enough to just be along for the ride. It's not enough to just do what your parents do or do what your wife does or do what your church is doing just because that's what they do. If you are not intentionally moving towards Christ for yourself, you will drift away from him. I want to look through a few verses this morning, and really there are so many to choose from because what I want to show you and what I hope will stand out to you are the verbs used, um, the verbs that show you just the intention um, and of God's forward movement towards us and for us. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent his son. There is no drifting here. There is no drifting in being born, and being born under a woman. I mean, if you've ever been witness to childbirth at all, you know that there is incredible force behind that moment. And Jesus came with a very clear mission to redeem those under the law and bring them into right relationship with the Father. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8 
a verse many of us know very well, says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came with a goal. He set his sights on where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do, and he didn't stop until it was accomplished on the cross. There's absolutely no drifting here. And guess what? There's been no change in that mission statement ever since. He came to redeem those under the law that we might be brought into right relationship with the Father. It was true then, and it's still true today. For each one of us, regardless of where we find ourselves on our own journey, this is the mission of Christ. But what about us? Well, just yesterday, I learned how to drive a motorcycle. I know, crazy, right? It was so much fun. And one of the things we learned immediately is that you will always go where you're looking. You will always go where you look. The goal, of course, is to always be looking where you want to go. So if you stare at the tree that you don't want to hit, you will very likely hit that tree. And if you look down and stare at the road, you will very likely drop your bike. You always want to have your eyes set on where you're going, on where you're headed, on your mission. Now, we live in a world that is drifting further and further away by the second. The gaze of our world is not on Christ at all. It's not what was accomplished on the cross, and it's not even set on those whom Christ seemed to have his gaze set on the most. The broken, the wounded, the hurting, the widows, the orphans. But regardless of where we are looking, regardless of where the church is looking, or where the world is looking, the mission that was given to us by Christ, the goal, remains the same. Our mission statement goes like this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is our mission statement. This is our purpose. This is what we are here for. Now, a quick tangent here. Um, in this verse, Jesus is not talking to a church, okay? He's not talking to a building. He's not talking to an organization. He's not talking to an institution. He is not talking to a Sunday school program. He is talking to individuals. He is talking to people. So regardless of where your church is headed or where your church is looking, regardless of where First Naz is looking, regardless of where your parents are looking or your spouse is looking or whoever you are with on your, your faith journey, regardless of where they're looking, this is your God-given mission statement. Your mission statement from Jesus is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In her book, Out of Sorts, Sarah Bessie quotes Jürgen Moltmann in saying, it is not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in their world. It is a mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. 
And Sarah Bessie goes on to add that mission then should be understood not as one of many activities of the church, but rather as our very essence. The mission of Christ is supposed to be my very essence? What does that mean? Well, essence, your essence is like your most significant quality. It's like the ultimate nature of who you are. Like what? The mission of Christ to go and make disciples is supposed to be the very essence of who I am? Yes, absolutely yes, um, because it was for Jesus, right? His mission was to, to save us. His mission to save us determined everything about who he was, everything about what he did, everything about who he spoke to. Why do we have this idea that the expectations for us are any different? Why do we think that it's any different for us who call ourselves tiny Christs? that this would somehow not be what's expected of us as well. It absolutely is the mission given to each one of us, and it is supposed to be the very essence of who we are. One last story. Oh, that's not true. I have two stories. This is the second last one. Um, I love fishing. Last year, my family and I went camping, um, and one morning I set out in a canoe to go fishing. And I found a spot where I saw the fish jumping. I thought maybe there would be some fish. And I put my paddles down and, and I got distracted, you know, with my daydreams and not catching any fish, which is really what fishing is. It's just glorified daydreaming while not catching fish. Um, and after a while, I realized it was time to go in. And I looked up and I realized that I had drifted. Um, I had drifted very far from home, from the cabin that we had rented, um, and very far from shore. Not only was I far from home and far from shore, but I wasn't even close to where I had intended to wind up either. I wasn't, I wasn't close to where I started. And guys, please hear me on this because this is so huge. It's not that I started rowing in the opposite direction that got me somewhere I didn't want to be. All I did was stop. All I did was stay still, and in my stillness, I drifted away. All I did was stop moving with intention, and I ended up far from home, far from where I wanted to be, and that is all it takes. We will never drift towards God, but we will drift away from him. And we will never get to where he's called us to go if we remain still, because there's no such thing as staying still. If you think you're staying still, you are drifting away. Does that make sense? Can you guys hear my heart on that? Jesus came to earth with a mission that was for us. It was for our salvation that he went to the cross. And in that, he came with a mission that was also for us, for us to take to others so that we could lead others to the cross too. It's not just part A. The mission was for us to receive and it's for us to bring others along for the ride too. I'm almost done. The Lord did a deep work in my heart last year when it came to my mission, um, my purpose, and living with intention. It all began when we had someone named Dr. Melvin Rigsby visit our church. Um, he came one evening and he spoke about mission, as in the mission field. Um, he works undercover uh, with, in Muslim countries. And he talked about how imperative it is to meet physical needs with spiritual needs. And it makes sense, right? I mean, Jesus did this almost always. The healing of the lepers, 
the blind, the lame, the women who struggled with bleeding, the men who were possessed and chained up. Jesus, more often than not, healed both body and soul, usually body and then soul. Now, when I was 20, I became a primary care paramedic after I spent time in Indonesia and Malaysia, and I discovered that ministry opportunities, when you can offer a physical gift of healing, um, just open the whole thing wide up. It's, it's way easier to do ministry when you can heal people physically, when you can offer them something uh, to make them more comfortable. So I came home from my journeys overseas and I became a primary care paramedic. This is uh, some pictures of me as just a 20-year-old student uh, practicing what I had learned. And on the ambulance, you know, I worked for both the city of Edmonton and the city of Calgary on the ambulance services, and I was able to meet physical needs in a very real and tangible and life-saving way. But it was always so quick. You know, on the ambulance, we're with our patients for minutes, maybe hours, and that's it. And sometimes I did get to pray with patients, and that was really special. But more often than not, there was never enough time to get to know someone and work towards healing their soul the way that I wanted to. And then as a youth pastor, I met spiritual needs, um, and I've loved it. I've loved being able to walk through teens um, through some of the hardest stuff and the hardest years of their life. I mean, through my time and being a youth pastor here, I've walked kids through bullying, racism, self-harm, suicide attempts, divorce, coming out, and rape. I've walked through all of these things with our teens, and it has been beautiful and wonderful. But when Dr. Rixby spoke, I felt a stir in my soul. I very much miss being able to bring physical healing while also working towards bringing spiritual healing. In my years on the ambulance, I played an active part in two births. So I got to help deliver two babies. One of those babies, my partner and I basically caught mid-air in the Foothills Hospital Ambulance Bay. It was just crazy. Um, and I loved it. And I've always said that that was the highlight of my career in EMS. And so after that fateful night with Dr. Rigsby, um, I began to pray about my own mission. You know, how could I return to a place where I helped people physically, but also spiritually? Now, this is a crazy God story. Um, there's a TV show, uh, and it's awesome. It doesn't have Will Ferrell in it, and it's called Call the Midwife, and it is my absolute favorite. And I love getting to watch, you know, these births, but I also love the relationship that the nurses and midwives have with their patients. See, they're able to walk women through a really... Um, challenging season in their life with lots of transformation, lots of pain, but also a really beautiful season spiritually. Um, so one night I was watching uh, this show and um, I felt a stir in my spirit. And I, I thought, I heard, I heard God say to me, what about becoming a midwife? And I thought, God, no way, that's crazy. And it's also perfect. Wow, um, I need you to confirm this for me. And suddenly I felt this desire to go upstairs and grab my Bible. So I ran upstairs, I grabbed my Bible, and it was in the summertime, it was last July, and the fan in my bedroom was on. So I open up my Bible, and at that moment, the fan turns around, and it flips all the pages, and it's just so beautiful. It's like, and then they suddenly lay flat. Um, and I look down, and the very first sentence that I read said this, they will be delivered into your hands. How's that for confirmation, hey? So I guess, church, that's a really 
long-winded way to say that in my own personal journey towards making disciples of all nations, um, I have felt a call from God to become a midwife, which means that I've stepped away from my position as youth pastor here at First Nas. And it's hard and it's scary, but God is so in it. Uh, one of the crazy things about midwifery degree programs is it's one of the most competitive programs in all of Alberta. There are about 400 applicants each year and only 12 are chosen. So I get to be one of the 12 chosen ones, which is really cool and also very symbolic. Church, um, it has been an honor serving you. It has been an honor loving you. It has been an honor loving your teens. And my prayer for each one of you um, individually is that you would look up, that you would look at where you're going and that you would ask yourself, what is my mission? What is my passion and my purpose? What am I called to? Am I moving towards it? Am I moving towards it with intention? And if not, what is it that my sights are set on? Now, if you aren't sure what your mission is or ought to be outside of go and make disciples of all nations, um, there's an exercise by Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that is really helpful. Um, if you haven't read that book, I totally encourage you to do it. It's outstanding. Um, but you can even just Google um, mission statement Stephen Covey and exercises and reading will come up. And that can help you really figure it out for yourself. I'll close with this. Jesus moved towards earth with so much intention and so much force with his birth, and he kept his gaze fixed on his God-given mission all the way to his death, even death on the cross. Can we say the same? If not now, can we someday? Can we work towards that? We will never drift towards God or his plans for our life, but we can and we will drift away if we lose focus, if we set our eyes on the things of this world. So may we keep our gaze locked on Jesus, on his example, and may we all be used by Christ to carry out the mission of the Father. Amen. <laughs>